0: Welcome to Dark Adaptation, and thank you for joining our bi-weekly segment, Missing, Murdered, Mysterious, where we highlight unsolved cases of missing people, homicides, and mysterious deaths, with a focus on BIPOC in North America. Sadly, many BIPOC deaths are poorly handled by officials, leaving the families with more questions than answers when it comes to the case of their loved one. The death of Patricia Carpenter is one of those cases. The family is still waiting for some answers. We've learned a Canadian woman is missing. Family says they have done all that was in their hands to find their loved one. I just want him to make it home to us. Pleading for help from the public to find their family member. Car was empty, the motor still running. The driver's side door was open. Patricia Trish Carpenter was born on October 12, 1977 in Toronto, Ontario. She belonged to the Alderville First Nation, but was raised in Toronto by her loving mother, Joyce. Trish was the only girl and had three brothers who she cared for and loved deeply. She was inherently maternal and spent time with them, caring for them and teaching them. She was a beautiful, happy child always smiling and laughing and had an amazing sense of humor as a little girl her cabbage patch kids were her prized possession she would spend hours playing with them talking to them and just building a small world just for her and her beloved dolls in 1992 at 14 years old the dolls and the small world she created with them were a thing of the past and she focused on new interests like writing basketball and boys 1992 was also the year that Trish learned she was expecting a child. Trish was just a kid herself, but when she learned she was pregnant, she was determined to deliver her child into loving arms. On July 18, 1992, her beautiful baby boy Dakota was born. Trish loved him immediately, dedicating herself to him and giving him all that she could. Naturally maternal, selfless and sweet, Trish was ready for this change leaping from 14 to 30 overnight, embracing the challenge of a lifetime. Sadly, Trish would only have two months with Dakota. On the evening of September 24, 1992, Trish left Dakota in the care of her mother, Joyce, so she could go out with her boyfriend Rob and two of their friends to celebrate Rob's 21st birthday. Police alleged at some point, Rob and the friends wandered off, ultimately leaving Trish on her own. While on her own, Trish had somehow stumbled onto a downtown construction site located at 205 Young Street and had become, quote, wedged very tightly headfirst into a pit. She remained there until the next morning, September 25th, when her lifeless body was discovered by construction workers arriving to work. The coroner's statement said that she died of asphyxiation since her chest was restricted. She had near toxic levels of alcohol in her system and no foul play was suspected. Rob and the two friends were questioned by police, but nothing seems to have come from it. The friends and Rob said that Trish was drunk and they left her passed out near the construction site. These are not good friends. The boyfriend is a terrible boyfriend if you leave your not even 15 year old girlfriend passed out drunk at a construction site in downtown Toronto. And not to mention that she wasn't even 15 years old yet and her boyfriend is 21. Like that's problematic in and of itself. So the coroner's determination was initially derived because when they spoke with the police, the officer said, quote, Categorically, there had been no foul play, quote. The coroner's statement also states, quote, I was informed by officers then and with more information during the following two days that this girl had been on the streets since she was aged 11. She was a Canadian Indian and had many street friends, but had not fitted in with a, quote, fast crowd, quote. So that's what the coroner had to say about Trish and her death. And despite the police's statements that no foul play was involved and Trish was just a, quote, homeless Indian, the coroner listed Trish's manner of death as undetermined and petitioned the coroner's office to open an inquest into her death. So at least he did that. The coroner's office did oblige this request. So an inquest was held over 12 days in February 1993 with a jury assembled to look at the evidence in Trish's case. Now, the jury agreed with the coroner. Her death was definitely suspicious. But in the inquest report, they stated, quote, however, there is insufficient evidence to conclude that her death is a homicide, unquote. And I mean, to that, I say no wonder, because there was barely an investigation conducted. So how could they possibly conclude that it was a homicide when there's not even an investigation? There's barely any evidence collected, so they kind of had their hands tied there. The jury did make 11 recommendations though, and these were related to social services, construction site safety, and police investigation procedures. And they made these 11 recommendations with the hope that they would deter something similar from happening to another young woman. Two of these 11 recommendations revolved around law enforcement, And they stated that the police should appropriately test all evidence discovered at the scene to potentially identify Trish's cause of death. And that warrants issued for two people who were with Trish that night, um, the night that she died, be extended until police had the opportunity to fully question them. Now, I have no idea if there was any follow through uh, when it comes to these recommendations on the police's end with Trisha's case or if they just planned to implement these recommendations going forward. But um, that's the two main recommendations when it comes to police handling cases like this. Now, despite these recommendations and the coroner's doubts that foul play was not involved Trisha's death was labeled an unfortunate accident in the eyes of law enforcement. And as we've seen time and again, attributing deaths to an accident, natural causes, or classifying it as undetermined is a sad, common theme when it comes to the death of Indigenous women and girls. Labeling Indigenous women and girls as steeped in alcohol and bad company is also a gross pattern that we've seen from law enforcement. Members of Trisha's family, people of the public who are following this case, and even the construction workers who found Trisha's body all agree that her death is suspicious. And they say it would have been impossible for her to have simply fallen into this hole. Now, for visualization's sake, this hole was two meters deep, which is six and a half feet deep. And the opening was 55 by 58 centimeters. 21.7 by 22.8 inches wide so really not a big hole Um, for reference the average width of a woman's shoulders is 14 inches wide so even though Trish could fit into this hole it was a really tight fit and she was in there upside down it's a very uncomfortable position to be in and it's just all around weird and very suspicious you shouldn't even need an investigation to see that there's something so very wrong with this scene. The position of her body, the immediate dismissal by police and the lack of witnesses in Trisha's case really reminds me of another case. And the, this case is the death of Kendrick Johnson, which happened in 2013. He was a black teenager who was found upside down in a rolled up gym, mat in the gymnasium of his Georgia high school And that case reeks of foul play, yet no justice has ever been delivered to his family, with the police chalking his death up to a horrible accident. And all of this sounds super familiar, but Kendrick's case is a case for another day. At the time of Trisha's death, Joyce said she was told that her daughter had been drunk and doing drugs and she was just seen as a street girl. Now about this, Joyce said, quote, there were no drugs found on her. They said she was a street girl. She wasn't a street girl. She was living with me and with her baby. The detective said there was change at the bottom of the hole and she knew it was there. So she was reach trying to reach it and she got stuck. They said she tripped and fell in, unquote. Now, this is something that Joyce has never believed. She does not believe that Trish was just walking through this construction site and saw some loose change lying in the bottom of a hole. So she dove in headfirst. And it's also true that Trish wasn't some street girl, like whatever that's even supposed to mean. Trish was a teenager. She had a loving family. She was from a good home. She lived a good life. She had a baby. She wasn't someone that should just be disregarded. Like nobody should just be disregarded. But it's just absurd from the police's end and she is 14 she wanted to go out and party a bit she was a teenager after all and then when it comes to the police saying that she like went down into this hole to get some change she tripped and fell in like which one is it was she climbing in the hole to reach some coins or did she trip and fall headfirst into the hole and wedge herself in like it it doesn't make any sense And again, this reminds me of Kendrick's case because police said he dove into the upright mat to retrieve his shoes that were inside and he just got stuck in it upside down and that position caused him to suffocate to death. Like, it's just so eerie. Joyce said she felt that police determined no foul play was involved in her daughter's death far too quickly and she believes the investigation was hampered by racism on the part of police. Joyce said, quote, They look down on Native people. They need to dig further into the investigations and be more thorough in what they do, unquote. And to that I say, amen. It took Joyce years to be able to talk about the death of her daughter, 21 years to be exact. But after learning about several other cases in Toronto that remind her of Trish's, she decided to speak openly about Trish. She's also actively involved in supporting family members and participating in events related to missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. The family believes Trish was murdered, and it seems impossible that foul play and criminal activity aren't involved in her death. There was evidence at the scene that indicated a struggle took place, and Trish was missing a shoe. There are gaps in the investigation that leave more questions than answers, and only one person that was with Trish that night is still alive today. One of the friends and Trisha's boyfriend at the time, Rob, were murdered in unrelated events, but the one remaining friend hasn't been present for interviews and remains pretty distant from Trisha's case. And this happened in 1992, so time is running out. Key witnesses in Trisha's case are becoming scarce, and any other people who might have witnessed something that night seem to be non-existent. The life of a vibrant young woman was taken, and a child's mother was stolen. Dakota is 31 years old now, and he's an aspiring chef. He's had to grow up without the love and care Trish would have showered him with. But thankfully, he was raised by Joyce, who is an amazing, loving mother and grandmother. With the help of students at Ryerson University, Joyce created an exhibit to honor the life and memory of her daughter called Shades of Our Sisters. The exhibit was held in Toronto with over 300 people attending, including the construction workers that found Trish's body that fateful day. Shades of Our Sisters is now available online and shares the stories of Trish and another young Indigenous girl named Sonia Cywink. It's a beautiful interactive website created by Trish and Sonia's families, and it's linked in the episode description if you want to check it out. While unsolved, Trish's case does remain open with the Toronto police, and her family continues to fight for answers and justice. Downtown Toronto is a busy place, especially Yonge Street. Something happened to Trish that night, and there has to be someone out there that heard or saw something. If you have any information about the death of Patricia Trish Carpenter, who was found dead at a construction site at 205 Yonge Street, downtown Toronto, on the morning of September 25th, 1992, please call the Toronto Police at 416-808-2222. You can also call Crime Stoppers at 416-222-TIPS, or you can file a report online, and that is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Missing, Murdered, Mysterious. Please share this episode so we can continue spreading Patricia Carpenter's story. And hopefully one day we can help bring answers to her loved ones. We call it the missing white woman search syndrome. <laughs> if there's a missing white woman, we're going to cover that every day. <laughs> kids stay on the news cycle for about a day, maybe, and then they fall off the news cycle. An epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Indigenous women face a murder rate six times the national average.